Hello, Stitchers. Welcome to Stitch Please, the official podcast of Black Women's Stitch, the sewing group where Black Lives Matter. I'm your host, Lisa Woolfork. I'm a fourth-generation sewing enthusiast with more than 20 years of sewing experience. I am looking forward to today's conversation, so sit back, relax, and get ready to get your stitch together. everyone and welcome to the Stitch Place podcast. I'm your host Lisa Woolfork joining you from Charlottesville, Virginia. Last week you might remember we had the privilege and the delight of having Rashida Coleman-Hale on the program. She was the first person that we talked to here in March for National Quilting Month, and we had such a good time. Have you ever talked with a friend and you're talking and as you get to the end of the conversation, You say something or she says something and then a whole switch gets flipped and here's a whole nother conversation. Rashida and I were talking and we were having a really great time and the episode was wrapping up and I just happened to mention, hey, I wanted to ask you about your experience specifically as a black woman in this industry. And we just started talking all over again. So here is a very special and enjoyable bonus episode, part two of my conversation with Rashida Coleman-Hale. Last week, we talked about her growth in the industry, what it meant to discover the power of her own voice, and the way her deep commitment to her art meant that she wasn't going to compromise things that she did not want. We also learned that Rashida is one of the most productive people I have managed to meet because she had a baby, and while she was having a baby, she wrote a book, and she launched a pattern line, and just amazing. So we had a really great time with that chat. So please do go back and listen to it if you did not get a chance to catch Rashida Coleman-Hale and I having a great conversation. Now, today, we are going to transition to talk more about her experience, specifically as a black woman in the professional quilting industry and some of the challenges that come along with that. So stay tuned and enjoy this bonus episode with Rashida Coleman-Hale. Thanks. I've heard stories from um, folks that I follow on Instagram. One that was the most striking to me was someone mentioned this a few years ago. She was at some sewing event, had on a badge or whatever. I think she was working for a sewing machine company or doing demos. And people came up to her and asked her for her ID. They wanted to make sure that she was supposed to be there. And it could have been because she was young, she says, but it was likely because she was brown. Mm -hmm. And she was like, what kind of bored person has to sneak into a sewing expo? Like, who's going to sneak in, right? So the idea of the gatekeeping, we get a lot of gatekeeping. It sounds like what you were describing about some fabric companies being very resistant to your fabric is about gatekeeping. It's about whose fabric is acceptable and what they want to see is what should be seen. And the things that they don't see don't matter. Very strong sense of myopia happens in the way that the industry thinks about its representation, the way that it thinks about who matters, and even the way they think about their consumer. It's so short-sighted. 
because they can't continue to think that the only people worth marketing to are upper middle class, middle class, white woman over a certain age. I think that's what they're pitching to. Yes. As the, like, but that, but where's the future in that? It seems so narrow, even from a greedy capitalist business stance, wouldn't you want to get money from everybody? (laughs) And so I would love to hear more about your experience. I talked with some other folks who have been to Quilt Market, other Black women who end up being confused. And this happens to me, like at work, like some people call me my colleagues' names and I'm like, we we look nothing alike. Why would you think that? So tell me about some of your experiences of just being confused for other folks. You had an experience at Quilt Market one year that was like, what? I've had several experiences at Quilt Market. Um, one year I, was, I went in to go set up my booth and this woman stopped me and she was looking for Latifah. <laughs> I was like, what? You really, why do you think I would know where she is? <laughs> because you're part of that Negro network. We're yes. part of the Negro network. It's like, it's like a nervous system. We're all connected <laughs> to each other. Yes. I was like, I'm sorry. I didn't what? <laughs> a, a, a black person. She must know all the blacks. Yes, I know all the blacks. But then another show, I had been in my booth all morning, but I had three people come up to me and say, I really enjoyed your talk this morning. <laughs> now you were at your booth all morning. So you, yes, were, all morning. <laughs> you, were, you, okay. So just to be clear, you don't have a twin. I don't have a twin. <laughs> you mentioned several times that you were an only child. So don't have a, and you don't have a secret twin who's just like you, who also designs fabric. I just want to make sure. There's nobody at market who looks like me. (laughs) Just checking. So they had three of them. And one woman had her daughter with her. And the daughter even was like, mom, she elbowed her. She was like, that's not. That's not. He's like, that's what she to call me. (laughs) Anyhow, those people thought that I was Ebony Love. We had just done a talk that morning. I had had it <laughs> because I had already had some other incidents on that trip that just was like, why am I even in this industry? What am I doing here? <laughs> I was just, I was feeling very done. So I told the girls, I was like, I'm just going to go take a walk. I'm going to walk the floor because I need to get out of the booth. I went and walked and I don't know what it was in the, in the, cosmos that made this happen but as I'm walking up the aisle suddenly I see Ebony coming and then I see Latifah <laughs> and then I see one of the people coming and there's literally like maybe a handful of us that, that see each other at, at the shows and we all just happen to converge in the middle of the show in this one aisle and we were like what <laughs> swap stories and say, hey, I'm Rashida, but apparently I'm also Ebony and I'm also Latifah. How have your experiences been at Club Market this year? Did they have similar stories? They had similar stories and like we always tease each other. You're and you're like 5'10? I am 5'10. It's not 5'10. <laughs> but yeah, we, we took a picture together and posted it to social media and we were all cracking up like we should just be like, here's our names. <laughs> the cat. The caption should read, "Not the same person." Not the same person. 
But you know, it, it's funny you can laugh about it now, but in reality, every time it happens, it, it hurts my heart. Every time. Because I am an individual and work very hard to develop my style and, and, and be who I am. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know? It hurt. And it, and it just reveals that this industry is so white. Mm-hmm. It's almost aggressively white. Yeah. That when there are black people there, it's hard. It's like people want to say, here's a spice, here's the spices that you can have. And we'll have reservations for four people. Mm-hmm. And it'll be these four or these three, which is problematic enough. That's problematic just to have the numbers be so low. But additionally problematic is that is the lack of care. Yeah. In saying, in feeling like they would invest enough to even be able to tell one person from another. And so it, I can definitely see how it, it could feel like tokenizing mm-hmm. uh, when what it actually is one of the deep, one of the many deep flaws in a white supremacist society. And, and I, I say white supremacist, but some could call it white privilege or predominantly white or whatever, but it doesn't have to be this way. That's the thing. I don't see who benefits from this. Like, where is the benefit? How is the industry growing, becoming better, becoming more nimble. How is this key to any industry's success, especially in this day and age when there's no reason for it? This is not like the three of you all should not be integrating quilt market like (laughs) it's like 1962 in Little Rock, Arkansas or 54. This idea that you could be a pioneer at something Mm -hmm. at this late stage of the 20th century is just shocking and it 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 feels deliberate to me it feels deliberate that Mm -hmm. clearly they made choices to privilege some forms of art to legitimate some forms of fabric while Mm -hmm. delegitimating or ignoring others yeah I feel after everything that happened over this past summer I started getting emails and instant messages and texts and you know everyone reaching out and and that felt nice, but it was like, really, why does it have to take such a powerful, tragic event to suddenly be recognized? Or to wake people up. Yeah. Because it's not even to wake people up, it's to wake up white people. Because yeah. people are already aware of all, aware of these things. We did not need a traumatic incident and, and a catastrophic set of violent abuses as what we as, as what occurred in 2020 in yeah. order to know that this country has a very deep problem it's pervasive through every aspect of society mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and and then the same people who want to keep politics out of quilting mm-hmm. you know? oh, don't talk about don't bring politics to quilting it's not politics <laughs> it's not politics but like how and how do they explain then the idea of having three or four black women at quilt market is such an aberration. Mm-hmm. Not only can you count them all on one hand, you only need one name to use for all of them. Right. <laughs> you know, that is a structural issue. That is structural mm-hmm. to how the boost gets set up, how they get disseminated, how they get divided. If the industry wanted to make a difference or a change, they could do all sorts of things to increase black representation at mm-hmm. that event. If they chose, they simply don't choose to do. To me, that feels very much like politics. 
Like yeah. black people's lives are not a political issue. This is a human rights issue. Having an all white quilt market, and it's called even the international quilt market. International, yeah. But it's filled with, it's like a 97% white event. How is that international? Yeah. Like, how's that representing even America? So, yeah, I do. I am sorry that you had to go through that. It sounds so frustrating. And I have such sympathy for that as well as empathy. Because this is something that is too prevalent in the lives of Black women, for sure. It really is. And it feels like, yeah, I think for myself, I've just, I haven't wanted to go to that show. (laughs) It's hard to want to go because it's a lot of energy to, to go to market. Like I, I hear people talking about it because I used to have folks that would go to the Houston for the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you say quilt market, do you mean the Houston International Quilt? Yes. So that also has the market attached, right? Market first and then the, the show is after. But um, why, is, market- why is quilt market important? I think that's useful to explain to people why quilt market is so important. Well, market is where all of the fabric companies and any anything sewing any sewing related company, basically books, notions, all those things, they go there to sell their wares to shop owners. Mm-hmm. So shop owners come from all over the country and buy their stuff for the following season. So it is very important as a fabric designer or a pattern maker or a sewing book author to attend that show it's basically your bread and butter (laughs) okay okay so this is like the most important trade show for anyone who is in the quilting industry so if you make tools if you make patterns if you sell classes if you have fabric you want to be there so you want to be there so you can be seen and recognized and engage with potential shop owners yeah. And then you meet potential shop owners or shop owners who might be potential clients mm-hmm. who can't manage to tell you apart from the other black woman who was speaking earlier in the day. I can definitely understand why it would be like, it feels demoralizing. That's why when you say like how it hurts your heart, it feels like, look, I have my name on things. Yeah. I have my name on an actual badge on my body. Badge in front of me. <laughs> um, and on my, on the sandwiches <laughs> of the fabrics that you see in this booth. In the booth behind me. Yeah, it's it's upsetting, especially because you put so much time and energy and just so much of you into it. And it, it's draining. <laughs> Not to say that I haven't had amazing experiences at that show. Oh, but cool. those, those small... They're not small, but those few incidents are... You still remember them. Yeah. And so, for example, that some people describe these things as microaggressions. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I have friends who say they they won't use the term microaggressions. They just say it's aggression. But Mm -hmm. microaggression are these little small moments of pain, of uh, of aggression, of gaslighting, Mm -hmm. of things that are so subtle. And this Mm -hmm. woman has said, hi, Latifah, and walked away. And you are left with this. And she thinks she just spoke to Latifah Safir and she's all happy. She'll be telling all her friends that she met Latifah Safir at Quilt Market. Right. And said hi to her in her booth. Um, <laughs> and that wasn't even her. And like these kind of things that can have a cumulative effect. Mm-hmm. They, are, they can be very wearing, very draining, that they have emotional weight. 
that are that's heavy to carry. I think that so many of us have stories like this. I'm pretty sure Latifah and Ebony have mm-hmm. very similar stories. Oh, and yeah. then what's so frustrating to me is that this is where you have to be in order to make your money. This is where you have to be to share the vision of your artwork with mm-hmm. a corporate entity. And with so much of it being about vision and people not seeing you or mm-hmm. misidentifying you, it makes that even worse. So like, I know, and so I, I hear your reluctance to return, but it, it feels like this kind of racism makes something that's mandatory optional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It cuts off so much of your ability to communicate your work more broadly. So it's just like, oh. Yeah, yeah, it's very difficult. And I've thought about it a lot. I mean, I've even I've had discussions with my husband. Like, I don't even know if I want to keep doing this. Just because it just... Yeah, I, I don't even know how to describe the feeling, Lisa. It's just... But I... I is it going to be better in some other industry? I think you've already hit on the solution. In the creation of Ruby Star Society, you have found a way to build and to create with people that you like, people that mm-hmm. affirm you, people that understand what right. you are about, building our own institutions, mm-hmm. building yeah. our own communities, finding ways to do our work in ways that affirm us and not drain us. That's what we need. And right. so, our own story, yeah make our own story, build our own things. And that's what the Stitch Please podcast is. That's what Black Women Stitch is. It was me finally making a break. And it took something big to make that happen. It took something traumatic for me. That was the thing for me is that in building this group and building this platform was that I refused to trade in who I was in exchange for doing something that I loved. I would no longer sit and listen to the microaggressions, I would no longer hold my tongue or sometimes I would just write text messages to my friends and say, they just said this. (laughs) And I did it for years. And now I am so happy. I'm so much happier um, that I I thought if I I didn't want to build my own things, I thought it would be too hard. Mm -hmm. I thought it would be too hard make your own thing. I thought it'd be like, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't do this. It's too much. I can't host my own events. It's too much. I can't have a group. It's too much. And then it really struck me. The thing that really got me to do it, like to hold my first event was, Mm -hmm. I was like, Lisa, you've been going to these quilt retreats with these white women for decades. And this one person, not all of them were this way, but this one person was pretty terrible. And I was like, Lisa, seriously, if that raggedy bitch can do it, You can do it and you can do it super well, which of course turned out to be true. There you go. And so, and this is what you were doing too. I think that Ruby Star Society seems to be the space for you. And I just really, I really, and it really burns me that the international quilt market is this way for Black women who decide to attend. Mm-hmm. Because in many ways, it's not an optional event. Yeah, that's true. And then, yeah, I, I just, yeah. Yeah. That sucks. That yeah. so sucks. I just think, this is what I think you should do. I think you should go back and you should bring more Black people. <laughs> I will come. I volunteer. I will come. And we can make, make it like a big DJ party. We got <laughs> music bumping. We'll have cocktails. We'll make it a Black-ass good time. <laughs> I, I specialize in Black-ass good times. That's what I do. And have a black ass good time there. 
I love a black ass good time. And I think that we should do it that way and have a nice purple carpet on the ground. Like, I, I already have a vision. I have a vision. I just need you to join me. Just come with me. I don't even, I don't know how the market works. I've never been there. I know it's in Houston. I know people love it. I know people spend a ton of money. Other than that, I talked to Bianca Springer from Thanks I Made Them. She's gone a couple times and supported. So I've learned a little bit, but like, I have friends in Houston. Mm-hmm. I will totally come and yeah, go and check it out one one season whenever they whenever they start up again. Yeah, again when I know when when outside <laughs> opens, mm-hmm. outside opens. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Stitch Please podcast. I do hope that you enjoyed this fantastic bonus episode with Rashida Coleman-Hale as much as I did. I was really glad that we decided to continue our conversation so we could get to this particular issue that I do believe is important. And you cannot dismantle a problem unless you identify what it is. And I think continuing to talk about this and identify it is a good first step. Next week, our foray into National Quilt Month continues with a fun and detailed discussion of fusible applique. Now, for the fusible applique project, I am using the Social Justice Sewing Academy 2020 Block of the Month Club block. This is a block from February called Crown, and it was created by a quilter who was mentioned in this recent episode, Latifah Safir. So tune in next week to learn more about Fusible Applique and how fun it is and how it's a really great project to introduce someone to the world of quilting. See you next week.